He tells stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Mac. Speaking of poetry, Ian, you actually, I realised this morning when I was thinking about what I might say to you, you actually are a poet because what poetry really essentially is, is concentrating intensely on the mundane and when you do that, this is a compliment so don't panic, when you do that, the thing on which you're concentrating lights up as if you've lit a candle and in that light is the numinous, the mysterious, the spiritual that lifts the poem off the page and that's what you do with your interest, your obsession with daily life, with the mundane. The mundane and the ordinary are glorious and they're the poet's material and that's why I think you have so many people writing poems in this time because first of all it's a lonely time for many people and also why people find that in prison almost everyone writes poetry. I had a man come to a class at Sydney University and I said, why have you come? That's a hard question for some people to answer. And he said, because I'm a prison officer and nearly everybody I deal with writes poetry and they show it to me. So I need to know something about it. They tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will do. Good morning and welcome wherever you are around Australia. We've had some great calls already. Um, Vera in Mongolo, uh, down near Braidwood in New South Wales. We had a lovely, lovely talk about moths and hummingbird moths. Beautiful things. You love. I saw a. I, as I told her, I saw a lovely butterfly in the middle of Sydney, and I, I thought, wonder where it's getting its nectar from. But it could be, but it from weeds or whatever. But they're be- it was a beautiful. I think it was a might have been a wanderer, or might have been a monarch. I'm not sure. I'm not a butterfly expert. I just know I love them, and I love moths. I just love moths. And we talked with Chris um, in Canberra about stock cars because he said he saw some stock cars. And then Pete and Julie, they're on their way now. They're on to going to Lake Gairdner. Find that on your maps. You'll find that's in South Australia. They're going to the Dry Lake Races Australia meet in Lake Gairdner, which starts tomorrow. Wouldn't you love to be there? Oh, we'd love to be there. Uh, and Chinchilla's got its fire tower uh, ex- exhibition, which starts next week on the 13th. Um, remember fire towers? People, that's how people used to watch for fires, but now it's all done by satellite. But we don't, I don't know if it's any better. I don't know. We still, anyway. Um, and over this morning, 1300, 700, 222, lots of things to do this morning. Jenny McIntosh has sent me a little uh, missive. She says, Macca, we retired in 2019 to travel Australia. At the moment, we're in Stanthorpe helping out on a couple of vineyards. It's not hard work. And we've met some wonderful people. One of the vineyards posted this little story about us and they've sent the little story. Good on you, Jenny. There's, there's a, great, a great lot of things you can do in the, in the world. And, um, yeah, especially 
I remember picking pears. I wasn't very good at it, but I really enjoyed it looking back on it. Um, from Barbie Hooper, she says, Our daughter Alex is currently in quarantine at Howard Springs. This was last Sunday, maybe finished now, I'm not sure. At Howard Springs after flying Qantas on a DFAT flight from London a week ago. Her experience at Howard Springs has been nothing short of exceptional and the organisational structure should be a model for similar quarantine facilities worldwide. Every small detail has been thought through to maximise the protection of her health and her well-being. There are daily calls to check on her physicality and mental health. There will be three tests for COVID during a visit. So far, she is negative. She's actually enjoying the heat and the sun on her veranda each day. Well, you would after coming from... I don't know where she came from, but assuming Europe or America somewhere. Enjoying the heat and sun on her veranda each day. She has a yoga class with everyone close by on their verandas. She can do boxer size art, bird watching and a heap of other interesting things. <laughs> Sounds like a lovely holiday. The food is fresh and healthy. For example, breakfast could be a chaya pudding and fruit and lunch, a roast lamb and salad wrap delivered with a hot meal every evening. In fact, she says it's worth every cent of the cost she's already paid. Alex is so excited to be back in Australia after working in foggy London. Oh, there you go. She wants a road trip with her dad from Darwin to home on the Sunshine Coast to get a decent dose of Aussie landscape sunshine and friendliness. Isn't that nice? Thanks to all the kind and friendly staff at Howard Springs from a grateful mum and dad, says Barbie and Gary Hooper. Um, We're on route uh, by road from Montville, Sunshine Coast to Darwin to meet her on Friday this week. So that's yesterday, the other day. There you go. What, what, get the label, sorry. Um, there you go. And this uh, from uh, Patria. Did I give you the number? I did. Patria says, um, after many years of listening but not making contact, I'm here writing twice in two days. This morning I heard you mention how unreliable Australia Post is. And I thought I'd mention this. Sec- a second check arrived, but I'd only sent that eight weeks ago and that arrived at the the uh, the bloke who was uh, aimed for. Um, he sent me a text and he said, oh, look what's arrived, look what's turned up, because I already cancelled it, but there you go. And the other one was uh, five months. This morning, Patrice says, um, I'd like to write letters. She says, I like to write letters and send cards of encouragement to ailing friends, and I enjoy receiving mail. I'm one of those customers who live in a chosen area of experimentation where the mail is only delivered every other day. The problem is I can't remember whether this week is the Monday, Wednesday and Friday or if it's the week where it's the Tuesday and the Thursday. So I have numerous, numerous unnecessary trips to the letterbox. Recently, because of the public holiday and Australia Day, which fell on the days I was due to receive mail, but of course there was no delivery, it meant that I only had one delivery in 10 days. In past years, we received two deliveries per day, plus on a Saturday. This experiment will not cease and will be adopted all over Australia, I'm sure. Keep up the good work, says Patria. Thank you, Patria. And Diana quickly just says, uh, Macca was talking about his mail, taking five months to reach him this morning. My husband received a letter from a client with his cheque for payment of services in our area had been posted in October, had been stamped in, in our area, had been stamped in Islamabad and arrived in December. We are quite surprised it arrived at all. Well, as you would be, Diana. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, who knows, who knows. Our number thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Lots of interesting things this morning as usual. G'day, this is Macca.
Maka, good morning. This is uh, Jonathan Dixon. Um, I'm I'm actually Fabian's brother, but it's uh, it's this is not a competitive thing between the family. But uh, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, ring you and just tell you that there's a couple of Brighton boys down in um, in Tassie. And they're going to, or one of them's going to swim the Derwent tomorrow morning, starting at 3 a.m. Wow. What, um, what is this across or along? <laughs> no, it's down. Down. Uh, down, down the Derwent. From? From New Norfolk to Hobart. I did, uh, 20, I, 23K. Wow. And why is he doing that? Um, I think because he can. and But also, I think it's just to um, celebrate uh, Labor Day. The the yeah the, the, it's something that they've they, they decided to do, uh, and there's a record to be broken. And John actually is the holder was the holder of the world ultra marathon, uh, which was the um, the uh, sorry the run to Dover, the swim to Calais, and the bike ride to the Arc de Triomphe, which I can't even imagine doing. I couldn't even imagine starting the walk. No, Jonathan, uh, it reminds me. Was it last year? No, probably the year before. Hasn't? Don't you reckon the years have gone? It's already March. Last year was a blur to me, even though I wasn't locked down. Maybe if I was locked down for, for whatever it was, 120 days, I wouldn't think it was a blur. But uh, the, the the year seems to have gone. But so it might have been 2009. Kel, do you remember we had a call from a bloke, and he said he was swimming across the mouth of the Derwent, I think. And I said, sharks. He says, no, 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 no. We don't have sharks in doing. No, no, no. That's no, no. <laughs> Something. He, he went into that whole thing because as soon as I think about swimming in the water, see what I think, shark, shark. I'm paranoid about the bloody things. I never used to be, but I am now. I'll tell you. Um, well, uh, yeah, I can't believe these blacks that do this. I mean, three a.m. in the morning's hard enough to imagine, but um, just getting in the water at the Derwent, it's going to be pretty cool. So that'll just be one day. He does that. He he will swim from yeah he will do it in I think it's a bit I'm not too sure of the time but he he will smash it um, and uh, he's got a support group of boys from here one was the ex mayor of Brighton Johnny Locko I think you might have spoken to Johnny sometime but anyway I think it's uh, it, it'll be exciting for the people down there just to uh, watch this little man swim down well, he's not little swim down the door and his name is john van john van weiss weiss yes and he he he's won the round manhattan he's quite a um quite a hero in the swimming world as far as ultra marathons are concerned yeah well it's probably it's no problem for him is he is it really if you no 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 and uh yeah so uh, i just thought that would be of interest um for the people down there to know that uh, he's going to tackle that this is the all over news we often hear of critically endangered or extinct native animals are they still around or not the night parrot was believed by some to be gone finito yet it turned up some years ago thankfully let's hope it continues to survive there are other examples this is the story of the Tasmanian tiger, or thylacine, Thylacinus cynocephalus, a large animal with resemblance to a dog or a wolf. According to the Australian Encyclopedia, the last captive thylacine died in Hobart Zoo on the 7th of September 1936. Although the search continues, 
The conclusion to be drawn is that the thylacine is almost certainly extinct. You'll be interested in this letter I received just the other day from Rosemary Flay Thompson. She's from Queensland. I've been doing a lot of reminiscing lately and find that this year marks the 75th anniversary of the David Flay expedition in search of a breeding pair of thylacines, or as the animal was more popularly known then, the Tasmanian tiger. I was nearly nine years of age in 1946, says Rosemary, and it was such a great adventure for me when, as a young girl, I accompanied my father, trudging through the mountainous southwest bushland, searching for traces of the animals. We had travelled over on the Nairana to Tasmania, January 46, and I am at last writing a book to tell the story of the David Flay Tasmanian Tiger Expedition. The fact that people asked why no one ever tried to save the thylacine from extinction worried me into telling our story because if only they knew how hard many enlightened conservationists, including my father, Trooper Fleming and naturalist Michael Sharland, did try against all odds, then the story may have had a different ending. Unfortunately, the might of the sheep graziers had overruled the possibility then of preservation of large tracts of Tasmania as reserves for the unique island fauna. Travelling to Hobart in 1933, David had applied for the position as director of the Hobart Museum, a position that he hoped would allow him to capture and study a pair of thylacines for breeding and live study purposes. Although his scientific qualifications were excellent, he was to be disappointed when, at the age of 26, the museum board considered him too young for the job. In view of his later successes in studying and breeding delicate native animals, who knows that if he had secured that Hobart position, maybe we would still be able to see a real live thylacine today. While in Hobart in 1933, David naturally went to the Hobart Zoological Gardens to see and photograph the captive thylacine in the collection. The animal, known as Benjamin, was obviously very bored in captivity. He was a nocturnal animal, locked out of his sleeping quarters by day, and he was pacing up and down, giving an occasional enormous yawn. This famous photograph taken of Benjamin yawning, showing the enormous gape of Benjamin's formidable jaws, is the one we see today in journals, stamp books, on souvenirs, beer labels, etc., while waiting in the enclosure with Benjamin for the photo opportunity, father had received a sharp nip on his backside from the animal and was always proud that he had probably been the last man to have been bitten by a Tasmanian tiger. He also took movie footage and, in an article written when later he had secured the position of curator and builder of Australian section of the Melbourne Zoo, he stated, I was only a poorly paid schoolteacher, but how I longed to get that Tasmanian tiger across Bass Strait to house and feed him correctly and study him as a live and happy animal in captive conditions. After difficult negotiations, he was given permission in 1935 to capture a breeding pair for the Australian section of the Melbourne Zoo, but financial constraints of the Great Depression in the 30s prevented him from carrying out that plan. However, he was a determined man, and ten years later, in 1945, when he was the director of the Healesville Wildlife Sanctuary in Victoria, he managed to secure funds for an expedition to southwest Tasmania. Knowing full well the newsworthy benefits of covering the expedition, a big contributor to this search was Sir Keith Murdoch, father of Rupert. The Murdoch family came to the sanctuary for a picnic lunch on the banks of Badger Creek, and we children clambered down the creek bank to play in the water, but on the way back we were attacked by angry bull ants, and I wonder if they were the only things to ever put the sting on Rupert Murdoch. Our 1946 expedition party consisted of Father David, Mother Sigrid, myself and my two brothers, Robert, aged 11, and Stephen, aged 3. 
and we were to endure cold, wet conditions, flood, snow, heat, blowflies, mud and slush, and to be washed out of our canvas camp tents no less than three times. Base camp was established on the banks of the Collingwood River in southwest Tasmania, and our mother worked hard to make it homely and provide us with adequate camp-cooked meals. I remember one interesting time when she found a black tiger snake curled up under the covers of one of our camp stretches. Father captured it and sent it with others and several Tasmanian devils, quolls and tiger quolls by sea to the Healesville Sanctuary. Initially, Father was joined by local bushmen and two members of the famous 1938 troop of Fleming Expedition who had explored the same area, Fleming himself and naturalist friend Michael Sharland. They took a pack horse to carry supplies, bedding and steel mesh, catch a malivo traps. They walked into rugged areas around Frenchman's Cap, Loddon River and the Jane River goldfields. Extremely rugged country with bowerer and horizontal scrub slowing progress at every turn. Narrow, swift-flowing streams on these plains proved hard to jump across and several cold duckings were experienced. I can remember having wet, cold legs and feet most of the time down there. The men had to cut fallen trees with axes from the tracks and find likely places to set up stockades containing attractions such as live sheep or wallaby behind the large traps which had a baited hook, usually with lumps of bacon at night because blowflies would blow and spoil baits during daylight hours. When the bait was pulled, the swing-weighted door would lock, trapping the animal without harm to either captive or the live decoys. When the traps were closed to our camp, I helped Father by dragging bait trails through the bush in all directions leading to the trap. These were laced with oil of aniseed, which proves irresistible to most mammals. We met some wonderful characters on the West Coast. Fergie of Lake St Clair was one, and I remember Taffy, the beekeeper, fondly. He had a slab cabin built around a tree above the West Coast Road, and his bunk was made of wallaby skins. Taffy was famous for his leatherwood honey, and on infrequent trips to town he would bring us paschal fruit bonbons. We saw glowworms along the track at night, and were privileged to witness that wonder of the southern skies, the aurora australis, sweeping a colourful curtain across the night skies. After finding evidence of thylacine footprints on a damp track and making plaster casts of the prints, Father, who was now working with one helper, Alan Batchelor, concentrated his search on one area known as the Poverty Plain. It was here that he met with the ultimate in frustration when a thylacine approached the large wire trap in a crouching position and had been caught by the elbow in the padded dog trap instead of by the lower leg. When we came upon the scene early the next morning, there was ample evidence of a tremendous scuffle with hair, footprints and faeces, but no elusive tiger. So the Flay expedition of 45-46 had come to an end, and many have tried since then to capture these will-o'-the-wisp creatures. American media magnate Ted Turner even put up a reward of $100,000, which was never claimed. But perhaps the expedition, led by my father's Herculean attempt, has been one of the longest expeditions ever undertaken in any attempt to capture a pair of live thylacines. And when headlines in some Australian papers proclaimed, Flay Expedition Fails, I most strongly disagree, for my father David Flay did prove, beyond doubt, that the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger still roam free in the wilderness regions of Tasmania's southwest in 1946. Are they still out there? I would love to think so, for many reliable sightings have been made since 1946, and my friend Cole Bailey, who spent most of his life in Tasmania searching rugged, mountainous areas, has found conclusive evidence to strengthen his beliefs that the thylacine still ekes out a precarious existence in the sombre, silent, rugged, mountainous regions of southwestern Tasmania.
Kindest regards, Rosemary Flay Thompson. How about that? This is the All Over News. Dear Ian, Some news stories never get told, but need to be told. The following story really happened. I know I was there. My name, Cobber Baskerville. I'm an Aussie from Mudgee. Small town, nice people. The story, the great Dunny Paper Caper. Thursday, 19th of March, 2020. My daughter needs toilet paper. 6.55am. Arrive at Coles and show my blue pension card. Julie, employee, says, Do you want toilet paper? Slightly embarrassed, I say, Yes. Julie says, Go to fruit and veg and wait. The truck is still being unloaded. I go into fruit and veg and there it is. Lions of older Aussies on their sticks and walkers, all staring at the door behind the deli. Minutes pass, the shuffling of feet. I look around and you would swear we were all lined up for a start in the city to surf. More minutes pass by. The air is electric. The dunny paper pallet is rolled in. An audible sigh wafts across the fruit and veg. A little old lady next to me stares at the pallet with loving eyes. The pallet master surveys the crowd, scratches his bum and goes back into the deli. The oldies are getting toey. Mutterings of mongrels and bastards issue from the ancient mouths. Someone near me breaks wind, but no one notices. All eyes are on the pallet. Off comes the plastic cover. Another audible sigh. For some reason, the employee starts tossing packs into the crowd. One old bloke in front of me leaps up like an Aussie rules player, only to miss the pack and fall flat on his bum. Now the employee is thinking of self-preservation from a surge of oldies by tossing the said packs. But they were packs of 20 and probably weighed close to 10 kilos. The little old lady next to me had a hand up yelling out, May! May! But if she had caught one, the weight and force would have landed her down amongst the pork chops and boxes of celery. Fearing the worst, I grab a pack, pay the cashier and leave the pandemonium behind me. When I get home, the daughter thanks me. I thought... I've got to write this down. So I did. I call it the Great Dunny Paper Caper. I'm Cobber Baskerville. I'm an Aussie. This is the All Over News, and our reporter Robert Smith, from the rolling green hills of Merriwar, located in the foothills of the Great Dividing Range in the northwest of the Hunter Valley, he says... Bonjour, Maka. Today, Sunday, brings the second edition of Le Tour de Meriwar, a pushbike ride that winds its way out of Meriwar and up to the top of the Great Dividing Range on the Willow Tree Road. The inaugural event last year celebrated the opening of a fully sealed tar road between Meriwar and Willow Tree, a vital trade link between the central west and the central north of New South Wales. Following on from the success of last year's event, we plan to extend the course this year to take our cyclists over the top of the range and down onto the Liverpool Plains. Breathtaking views and leg-burning, lung-busting mountain climbs are something that cyclists seem to love. 
Unfortunately, the beautiful rain that we've had over the last 12 months has exposed some pretty dodgy engineering work on the range section of the road, which has now been closed due to a risk of the road collapsing. So instead of lengthening the ride, we'll be shortening it this year. You can't live in the bush too long without developing a healthy regard for the comical value of irony. So we now have a King of the Mountain event, but no mountain. The whole town has embraced the event and adopted a French theme for the week leading up. The district is so lush and green at the moment you could easily imagine that you're in the Loire Valley. There are French flags and decorated mailboxes lining both the cycling route and the Golden Highway. We're even thinking about renaming the Golden Highway to La Route d'Or, uh, the Golden Road. Ah, yes. The port city of Newcastle can be renamed Marseille. Jerry's Plains is a close fit with Avignon. Denman, with its exquisite cuisine and the confluence of the Hunter and the Goulburn Rivers, is reminiscent of Lyon, the culinary capital of France. So for all those landlocked francophiles listening to your show, why not jump in your voiture, uh, carriage or car, and do the next best thing to visiting France by taking a trip on La Route d'Or. Many farms along the route have even started providing bed and breakfast accommodation. The Central West Cycle Train should be used as a model to boost cycle tourism right across Australia. Au revoir for now, mon ami, says Robert. Well, it's not really Robert, it's Robert, Robert Schmidt. Wouldn't it be great if the thylacine still roams the wild southwest of Tasmania? Who knows? Some believe it does. If you've got a story for the All Over News, love to hear it. Macatrax at gmail.com, Post Office Box 9994, Sydney 2001, or you can ring us, 1300 700 222. Hello, Macca. Yep. That's it's Annie. Annie Boyd. Annie Boyd. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. I, you're out running, right, or jogging or... Well. Well, I'm in Centennial Park. I'm actually um, standing by a pond watching a bird at the moment. I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear, well, I can yeah. hear some birds. There you go. So you're out doing your thing. I hadn't heard from you for a while. COVID and all that sort of thing. That's right. COVID and all that sort of thing. All the all the uh, marathons and things got called off. So uh, it's been rather a dull, rather dull 12 months from the running point of view, Macca. And this silly old girl approaching her 75th birthday went out on a on a run that did happen in November mm. and uh, slightly injured myself. So I've been having to work my way back towards a state where I can look forward to running a couple of major races in the next few months. So what did you pull um, a muscle or something? Or Yeah, I did my, um, my TFL, which is a, a small muscle that goes <laughs> into the left hip. Don't you love runners? Yeah, I did me TFL yeah. and me ACL and me TFL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I assume, I just look, I assume that's painful, um, TFL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't walk upstairs for a while, which is pretty bad when I live in a place with a mm. lot of stairs. So I had to take it, take take care, and get myself back to a lot of cross training, get myself back to um to running form again. But um, it's, I've been busy. I've been thinking about uh, my opera, which is going on up up in Alice Springs. Rehearsal started last month, which is exciting. Oh, this is the um, olive, the olive pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of your favourite characters are coming up in that. There's um, Daisy Bates makes an appearance. Oh, and, really? Um, yep, yep, yep. And uh, she was a great mate of Olive Pink, you know. No, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, yeah. That, she was a, a, almost a mentor and certainly someone that Olive uh, 
modeled her life on actually wow. isn't that isn't yeah. that interesting yeah and 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 old stralo who was a great character around uh alice springs his dad was a missionary out at hermansburg for yeah. a long time and and uh, he was he, he wasn't a good friend of ollie's actually they um they they locked horns in research areas which didn't help matters but anyway it's going to be a great great um uh production and very much a local thing so any grey nomads out there that um, plan to be in Alice around about September the 16th for a very unique Australian experience. And is that going to be that'll be outside or inside uh, Annie? Yep it's going to be done outside in the garden which is an unusual way to perform an opera with lots of uh, lots of difficulties but we have ways of getting around all of them and the wonderful, wonderful um, Aboriginal women's choir is a mainstay of the opera. They, they're like a chorus, a Greek chorus, and mm. uh, drawing on their traditional repertory, which was taught to them by the missionaries 100 years ago, now all in their own language. I've managed to get, get, uh, get, get chorales, old chorales that are now in Aranda, called the Aranda chorales almost, uh, and use them as, as strategic points in the opera to sort of lock it all together. That's been a lot of fun, and they're a wonderful group. I'm talking to Annie Boyd. Annie's a runner, um, but she's also a – would I describe you as a musicologist or um, uh, uh, you're a a composer? A composer. Just a composer. Yeah, simple simple composer. (laughs) Just a composer. I've written written music all my life from the time I was a little toddler out on Big Sheep Station in central Queensland. So, yeah. And yeah, uh, but in my day, you you couldn't think of yourself as a composer because um, I was told they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wrote music anyway, because it was a fun thing to do. <laughs> and now you've got a an opera uh, about um, Olive Pink. Um, yeah. Just quickly explain to people who Olive Pink was. Yeah, Olive Pink. Well, she was she was born in Tasmania. Um, she's most famous for living most of her life with Aboriginal people and working with Aboriginal people. Firstly, as an anthropologist, and and then later more in social welfare when she settled in Alice Springs. She founded the um, botanical gardens in Alice Springs with the help of a of a of um, a Walpuri gardener, John H. Upadjimpa, uh, and. That still goes today. Um, it's called the Olive Pink Botanical Gardens, and it's a, a kind of oasis for natural desert plants. Uh, it's all all desert plants in the desert region, and it's beautifully preserved. It's in itself, well worth a visit. Nestled into those wonderful ridges around Alice Springs, mm. uh, a natural amphitheatre, um, and so it's going to be very exciting to to get outdoors and get this work into the air and it's all based on all her all local stories it's all true that the, the, I wrote the libretto myself largely drawing on her mm. letters she was an incredible letter writer of course as the women these days in those days were so many of us were then of course um, yeah so that's 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 what's been preoccupying me and uh, uh, making sure that's all in order and ready to go so. Annie, um, I think a lot of people will try and head to Alice Springs on the 16th of September. Um, it'll be. Uh, so. uh, I'd love to be there myself and have a look at that. That'd be that'd be wonderful. But you keep in touch, Annie, and keep uh, looking after your T TSP. What? Um... Well, well, look. One, can I one more plug, Macker? I've got my 75th birthday coming up, and I'm running, doing a couple of runs to celebrate it. The first is um, is uh, my 75th park run here in Centennial Park, which is going to be lovely on the day itself but then in middle of may 
Um, I'm doing the my first major race since the injury, the Sydney Half Marathon, and for the Smith family to help disadvantaged kids. So if anybody wants to pop a few dollars into to my account to, for the Smith family, I'd be really thrilled about that because I had a lot of help when I was a disadvantaged kid and I'd just like to give a bit back. So, yeah. All right. How do they do that? Um, well, they just go to the Sydney Morning Herald uh, um, uh, Half Marathon page, Facebook page, and yeah. they'll see a, a, a give. Uh, look look up my profile, just look up for Anne Boyd, and they'll see uh, the banner come up with the Smith family and how to donate to them. All right. Good on you, Annie. Uh, I wish I was. No, I don't. I don't wish I was out there running with you. <laughs> my knees are oh, crook. My knees are crook, Annie. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful out here, Matthew. You can walk. I'd let you walk some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the, the peewee. The... I can hear the peewee, oh. the, the peewee the, larks. And... Well, and called. the sun, the sun filtering through these clouds are just phenomenal. It's just beautiful. Good on yeah, you, Annie. The light. Good mm-hmm. on you. Okay, mate. Thanks. thanks. Lovely to talk to you, Mac. I'll you listen too. to you every Sunday, of course. Good on you. Thanks, okay, Annie. Thanks for the call. Bye. Bye. Good day. This is Macca. Good morning, Macca. This is Vera ringing from Mongalo. Good day, Vera. Um, I've just been listening to your uh, program and when you were talking about scarlet robins and um, dragon orchids, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to tell you the story about a hummingbird moth. Yeah, 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 go. Um, this is a really um, unusual thing to spot in the middle of the day, but it was a big fat moth and hovering in midair and sucking nectar out of flowers because um, this wildlife reserve has got leftovers from the last ice age. A lot of botanists um, come to collect seed and uh, last summer we had fires ringing all round but they didn't burn through um, this block so um, a lot of um, rare plants were uh, preserved and a lot of birds come in from um, all the surrounding areas where they lost their habitat. So I've been seeing very unusual things here. You better tell everybody around Australia who's listening where Mongalo is, uh, Vera. Okay, Mongalo, um, area code 2622, near Braidwood. All right. So it's um, New South Wales. Braidwood is a heritage town, um, gold mining country, and um, Mongalo is about 13 k's to the east towards the coastal escarpment. Batemans Bay is down the road. And um, it's on the Mongalo River, which rises in the Monga Rainforest, which was um, decimated during the last season's fires, but it's still flowing and flowing strongly at the moment. And lots of things are coming back, which is delightful. Isn't it, isn't it lovely? It's re- renewal. Um, isn't it, and it's amazing too. I, I, yesterday I was in the middle of the city in Sydney yep. and I saw this butterfly um, an orange one, which I hadn't, and I'm not a great butter, butterfly um, observer, but I'd seen this before, so I, had, I looked up. I think it was a wanderer, or may, maybe a monarch, yep. but I thought, here it is in the middle of the city, yep. and uh, it just it made my day. And and yet, I always say this about people, you know. You're, I've got mates who are mad on football, and that's all they see football, and mates who are um, engineers, and that's all they see angles and buildings and stuff, and. Do you know what I mean? And you can walk. Yep. <laughs> but when I see a, a, a butterfly and, and that moth, I had a moth at home and he, sometimes, he just turns up and he yep. lives, lives in the garage and he's just a beautiful thing. He's only grey but he's got little markings all over his wings and he's just yeah. a ripper. I just, I just, it makes my day. I know. 
they're treasures, they're gems. And um, last week I tried to ring through because you were talking about uh, rare eucalypts and just down the road is the grandparent of all genus eucalyptus, <laughs> eucalyptus recurva. Recurva, it's, yeah. There's only um, a few specimens ever been found and they're remnants from the last ice age. <laughs> I'll, yeah. have, I'll have to get down to Mongalo. Um, oh, you should. <laughs> yeah, we could do an OB. We've got a wonderful um, community radio station called uh, The Barbed Wireless. The bar- <laughs> and, and this afternoon um, I'm part of a team called Birds on a Wireless. So um, we'll be talking about um, Clean Up Australia Day and um, cleaning up all the, the crap that gets dumped on the side of uh, Little River Road on that- my drive-in. And as I said earlier, Clean Up Australia can also include going weed, weed. weeding. You know, you know Absolutely. That's, that's a great way to clean up Australia because there's we- oh, yeah. weeds and feral animals and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But- and um, I grew up in Sydney on the um, East Hills line and uh, moved out of the big smoke to the little smoke um, to teach. And then I've, <laughs> I, um, after the fires last season, I thought I've moved to the biggest smoke of all. But it's gone now. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing to think what's uh, how things change in a year. You know, you a year ago you had a lot of smoke, and um, it was a really hot year, I think. And uh, yeah, and that's right. We had drought, fire, flood, and now we've got bumper crops of um, apples and quinces, and the um, the forests have um, because of all of the smoke water that came through the rain. Um, I had a orchids popping up through the ground that we've never seen and um, the waratahs in the monga that burnt because of the lignotubers underneath the ground, um, we've never seen a flowering like it. It's been incredible. When I come to Mongalo, Vera, I'm going to look you up and you're going to take me for a walk through the forest and you can point. You obviously know your, your, Absolutely. your, your flora yeah. as well as your fauna too, I bet. Well, I used to be married to a botanist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can talk about that sometime too, okay? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, hummingbird moths, I have never seen um, them before. And, um, I'm going to look one up later. Yeah, they're absolutely amazing. Good on you, Vera. Great to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. See ya. Radio, bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.